tomorrow is December, unbelievably. And that means it is the month that Sex and the City comes back. I know you're here to talk books with me, but oblige me for a moment. In my opinion, Sex and the City is the greatest television show of all time. And the new HBO reboot, and just like that, revs up on December 9th. In honor of that exciting day, I brought the very first of my new throwback guests on the show, meaning the book we're talking about isn't a new release, but it is one of my favorites. This week, I've got the woman who literally wrote the book on Sex in the City, Jennifer Keishan Armstrong, on the show to dish about her 2018 book, Sex in the City and Us, how four single women changed the way we think, live, and love. Take a listen to our conversation and stay tuned after the episode for a couple of book recommendations. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I was telling you offline, I've I've read and reread the book about two or three times, and it just seems like a, a really appropriate time to chat with you on the show because of the reboot coming up. Are you excited for it? I am very interested, um, like many people, to see how it all goes down. Yeah, so listeners, in case I don't know how you wouldn't be aware if you're living under a rock or something, but um, the Sex in the City reboot and Just Like That is premiering on HBO Max on December 9th. That's about two weeks away from when we're recording this, the day before Thanksgiving. Thanks for doing this the day before Thanksgiving, by the way. So did you ever think there would be a Sex in the City 3 movie or even better, a TV reboot like this? I mean, there's always been talk of it. So it's like always something that people have been talking about. When I interviewed them a couple years ago now, it was more on the movie, you know, everybody was talking about there possibly being a movie. Um, so this is just one of those, I, I think it's something that comes up for every show that was big and that people still care about. And it, then on top of that, they did two movies. So, you know, it's something that's kind of always a question that people talk about these days with the constant reboot fever. Yeah, reboot fever is right. And you write a lot about television. So I'm sure you've seen this with a lot of the shows you've written about. Yeah, and and some shows like it, like this one in particular, like I said, because they've done movies, because they haven't said they wouldn't do it. Um, there's more talk of it all the time. Do you know what I mean? So like Seinfeld, kind of like people love to ask them, but like they're kind of like, no, we're not going to do that. So it just it's not as much of this idea in the ether that's always there. Um, on top of which, too, like Sex and the City, you know the the movies you know, especially the second one, most of us, including me, I'm not going to lie, you know, I think I'd write Yeah, like, it wasn't a great note to end up. Let's just go with that. It was not their best work. And so it was not like the leg the nice sort of legacy that maybe they would want to leave ringing in people's ears for eternity. So um, all of that together makes this one a particular you know, like it is always something that people have been talking about. And because like Sarah Jessica wanted to do it, you know, like I remember when I talked to her, she wanted to do it. So it, you know, so she's not saying like, no, we're not gonna do it. She was always saying like, yeah, I want to make this happen. So I think that, you know, it's like, we've, 
we've been all waiting for this to really happen. It's a funny time for it to happen. Um, you know, it's like right. when they announced it, I was like, okay, you know, they announced it when it was still pretty deep pandemic. And I was like, okay, uh, <laughs> hey, sure, go right. for it. Let's see what you got, you know. I'm I'm sex in the city, I should just uh clarify right now is my favorite show of all time I've probably seen every episode in the movies I mean countless times and so I'm going to tear up this this I don't even know if it's going to be um I I if it's HBO I bet it's going to drop one at a time yeah it should be weekly I I, it will likely I don't think they've ever done a a binge drop so um it should be weekly I think they really like and it's doing well for them too this idea of like shows that come on every Sunday night and people really talk about it. Like if you look at something like Succession right now, um, that's been actually working really, or Mayor of Easttown a few months ago, that's been working actually really well for them. And people seem to like that. I do too. The idea that like you can, you have the opportunity to watch it kind of with everyone else and be on Twitter together on that Sunday night and really discuss it. Yeah. So, I mean, it goes without saying that, that I can't wait for this, but so, so you the book, the book is the brilliant sex in the city and us. And I think it would be a great companion piece to all of us as we dive into, and just like that. So you write in sex in the city and us that sex in the city changed your life. I bet many women would and could echo that sentiment, including myself. Uh, tell us how it changed your life. Yeah, it was something that I felt it felt really important to me to include in the book. I don't write a ton about myself usually, but in this case, I really had this idea of this show kind of like it did have that effect on so many women. And I felt like because it had that on me, I certainly should share it. And for me, I mean, the first line of the book is something like I left my fiance for Sex in the City, um, which is a slight maybe overstatement uh, for drama at the beginning of a book. But you know, um, it was a huge, it was a factor in, in my, um, in the breakup of my engagement. Like I moved to New York city, the show was on at that time. And I moved to New York city or the area at least with him and kind of really had this moment of like, finally being actually in New York, you know, before that it was like this fantasy idea, but then I was suddenly in New York. I was working at entertainment weekly magazine and watching the show and it really like they were literally going places that I was walking past and like my friend and I because we were both dorks and had just moved to New York City like and also because you didn't have we didn't have as good resources then on the internet as we have now so like we literally would just like watch the show and then that's where we'd go that week we just didn't know where else to go so we would just be like sure let's go to the bar they just went to Um, and so like, obviously we had a very different life. We're not idiots. We understood that we did not have like endless amounts of money to buy Manolo Blahniks. We weren't doing stuff like that, but there was a, there was like this bigger idea of the show that we were sort of imitating. And I think to this really powerful effect of like, oh, this, I could have this other life. Like before that I had really been on that track of like, you know, oh, I'm going to just like get married and have kids. And that's what I'm going to live in the suburbs. That's the end of that. Cause that was how I grew up. And suddenly this opened up this other idea to me and it felt accessible all of a sudden, even if they looked different and had a different, you know, had different sort of resources at their disposal. That wasn't what I was responding to. It was the freedom of what they were doing. And the fact that suddenly it felt like I could have it. 
that I decided like, oh, I, I haven't gotten to do this yet. I haven't gotten to just like be in a city where there are many options for dating and where I can experience that. I had been with my college boyfriend the whole time. And so this was really my wake up call of realizing like I hadn't done it yet and that I was gonna regret it if I didn't have that chance to do it. And of course there were other factors at play in the relationship that ultimately made it dissolve, but it was a huge factor in giving me kind of the courage to like, to do it both because it was like the incentive of like, if you do it, this is what's on the other side. Yeah. And and giving me a picture. I think that that's so key of like kind of having that image. It's it's so much about like, this is why we talk about representation on television, right? Is because giving you this picture of something that could be yours and that you can see yourself in. And that was what suddenly happened for me in a way that hadn't, you know, in the previous seasons when I was watching from my apartment in suburban Chicago or whatever before, didn't feel as much. And then suddenly it felt like, oh, maybe I can do this. And this gave me a model for that. Yeah. And, you know, something I really appreciate from the book is how you talk about marriage and how it has evolved over time. And, you know, for your grandmother, you write that it, it meant survival and yeah. for your mother it meant at least security. I think sex in the city showed all of us that marriage was an option. It was a choice. It wasn't a necessity. Would you agree with that? Exactly. And that was something, you know, and I, I put that in there because it was something I even struggled with at first, like, you know, it's easy to just sort of make fun of my grandmother who, who used to, and we still kind of joke about it a little, but you know, her, her line was like, if a man asks you to marry him, you say yes. Yeah. Um, and to us, that sounds just funny and cartoonish now. But once I was, especially when I was writing a book, I was really thinking about this and I thought, you know, it, it's, it's a little unfair to make fun of her for that because to her, that, that was true. That yeah. like that was it. She was a you know she was an, an immigrant from uh, Poland and Russia. Like like that's she had a fourth grade education. So I have a very I have very different options both because of the time I live in and because of what you know the the sort of like progression through the the um, generations there of like what they were able to give me is you know a, education at Northwestern University that allows me to go to New York City, watch Sex and the City and be like, I can see myself in that, you know? Yeah, well, I think we're all products of our time. And, you know, I'm 35. So I was in high school when, you know, everything was happening with Britney Spears and Paris Hilton. And now I look back, you know, nearly 20 years on and I go, gosh, I can't believe we treated those women like that. But at that time, that was just how we treated women. And I'm not saying that's okay, but you know, she, your grandmother and your mother, my grandmother and my mother were products of their time. And thank God we've evolved to the point where we can want a man, but we don't need a man. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that was, and to me, like I had grown up on the one hand, you know, I understood enough to kind of like laugh at that, that she, that she would say when a man asks you to marry him, you say yes. Or the other thing that we always talk about is my fiance, whose name was Dan. She used to say, thank God for Dan, <laughs> um, you know? And so we, so we would make fun of that, but it's like, I also internalized it on some level, right? Like, even as I made fun of it, there was part of me that believed it until I got to this point where I could go like, wait, it's possible that I could actually you know, survive without this person or a man in general was the bigger issue. And yeah. these women, I mean, I, I say this too about, you know, when we talk about the kind of 
crass commercialism of the show. Let's, you know, it's just true. It was the time too. I mean, it's interesting that you brought up Britney and Paris because first of all, very close to my heart. Second of all, just <laughs> like um, that that's the same time period. And I think there are, you know, I think that all goes together is like the aesthetic and the I, some of the values of the Sex and the City era and what was going on with those girls. Um, but, you know, the, the sort of crass commercialism aspect of it, um, I agree that it, it deserves critique, but I also think that it, there was something about it. It did add something to that picture at that time, which is that it was showing that these women could give themselves $400 shoes mm. and nights out at these, you know, opulent posh places and yeah. need a man to provide them with this glamour the way that I think we had mostly seen when we would see glamorous women on television before that, it would be on something like a dynasty or a, you know, Melrose place or something like that. And to, to some extent, it was because they had married the right person or that kind of thing. And this was very much about these women giving themselves that experience. Yeah, less about marrying the right person, more about being the right person mm -hmm. and and surrounding yourself with the right friends that will help you become that that good person that you want to be. Um, exactly. I love the book because it's it's such a deep dive on the show. It's a behind the curtain look. And so I, I was fascinated to read that to the folks at HBO, Sarah Jessica Parker was perfect. That's not the surprising part, but you write that she did not see herself as Carrie or any of her friends. What changed her mind? Yeah, um, I mean, to be like, I think there's a number of things. Part of it is, I mean, there's a whole part in the book, as you know, that's like where she kind of like almost pulls out and then gets back in again. Like she's very not sure that whole beginning part. And weirdly, part of the why we end up getting the gift of her as Carrie is that she kind of thinks it's not going to work. She kind of thinks it's not going to last long because like HBO know it. This wasn't a thing then. Um, so part of it is her being like, eh, let's see, because probably it's only going to be one season anyway. It's probably not going to be some big commitment. Um, so it's kind of funny because that alone just like helps get her on the show that she's now still doing, you know, 20 years later. Um, and she, I think she also just, she loved the script itself. Like she was very worried about a lot of things. Like you mentioned, she didn't see herself as this like sex pot and she didn't, even like to swear that much and she was you know she has famously a no nudity clause right um so she was very and you know her personality really is different from Carrie in a lot of ways like she's very sort of like theater kid grown up like very cheery happy you know like she is not this kind of like she does not seem as spiky to me as as Carrie is um as sort of like deeply flawed but she, it was in particular, um, she really liked the last scene of the pilot that um, is that absolutely conversation with uh, Big in the car. That might be the sexiest line a man has ever said on right? The way he says it absolutely is just, I mean, that is, that is sexy to me. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he is, he is magic. Like he's so what he's supposed to be right Chris Noth is that character is just like Ugh. exactly what's supposed to be thinking about it right now <laughs> no like that is it's like I I think if anything it was even better than they had imagined it when writing it and certainly it's not every day you get kind of like that perfect 
embodiment of the thing you were thinking of when you wrote the script and that's clearly mm-hmm. what he is and their chemistry is like there in that scene too yeah. and even before she knew that and met him just reading that scene um and multiple people who worked on the show mentioned this scene to me that like that was where they realized like there's something there and I kind of get that because like the rest you know pilots are weird it's not the pilot does not indicate how good the show is going to be in general. Um, it's very self-conscious. It's very like, let me show you how sexy and naughty I can be. It has a lot of that vibe in the early episodes, I think, where they're more like, look at us, we're on HBO. Um, we're going to say bad words and talk about sex a lot. Um, so, you know, the rest of the pilot is like, eh, you're not sure. But that scene shows you like that they kind of have someplace they're going. And that yes. it's really a romantic comedy was a huge part, I think, for a lot of people too, that like, yeah, 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 there's the sex stuff, but there's this overarching romantic comedy that's going to be here. And it's very, because of him, especially, right? It's very old school. It's a very like old New York kind of like, you know, um, when Harry met Sally and maybe even earlier kind of vibe to it. It has a screwball vibe, really. It even has like 40s screwball elements. Um, and you can see that it's more of that, like that they have this banter and they have this chemistry and that that's going to like drive the series and the absolutely right. That's an, that's an answer to have you ever been in love before? So that's not, that shows you like, this isn't just some like sex raunchy thing. This is actually going to be about love ultimately and about relationships. And that's true. It does make, I think if the show makes way better on that promise than they ever could have imagined given that first script. Absolutely. Ab- or absolutely. <laughs> so, so the show premiered in 1998. Um, context, I was 12 and I snuck around and watched the show because, and here's why I was able to get away with this is because my mom was watching it in the other room at the same time. And so I knew that she wouldn't try to come find me because she was glued to the TV. Of course, this is before TiVo or before we could catch it later on the streaming service. Pretty much if you didn't catch it on Sunday night, you weren't going to catch it. And so I, I sat there, Jennifer, with my finger on the power button of my little white TV in my bedroom because I knew that I would be so busted if I got caught watching the show. But I never did because she was watching the show, too. And as soon, <laughs> as soon as the show ended, I turned the TV off and acted like nothing happened. Like but- reading a book. <laughs> I'm just doing my homework mom just yep. doing my homework yep. but um so and then it ended obviously in 2004 uh, by then I was um I was a C, about to be it ended over the summer if my memory serves and so I was about to be a senior in high school so it took me really through a lot of my formative years so um what catapulted the show from a fluffy girly show that it might have started off as to as you write an, an acknowledged generator of social change yeah I think they really had to get that first season's a little like bumpy in my opinion um especially when mm-hmm. you know what it's gonna be it's like fun um and it did well pretty quickly for that you know by their standards at that time it, it was already making a splash um but it's really like that second season and beyond that um two things happen one is that they actually know that they're a hit right and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and that's important in itself because like you could be doing anything you know you can be doing the most revolutionary thing ever but if no one's watching it it doesn't really matter. Right. 
Right. Um, but then, you know, that second season and beyond is when Michael Patrick King joins the show um, as a producer and joins Darren Starr for a while and then eventually takes over. And the other thing is like they hire a full writing staff and they really start to like dive more into that balance of like the relationship stuff and kind of really, I mean, in a sense, issue driven. I mean, it's like a lot of times the issue is like a certain kind of sex or whatever, which sounds silly, but like at that time, it was so, it's hard to even explain how like mind blowing it was. Like if like for kids who are like young now, they, it, it makes no sense, but like women didn't talk this way. Right. Before that, like, and over, it's almost like, I think of it as almost like overnight, they taught us how to talk about sex. Yeah. And suddenly it's like one day things were one way and the next day everybody was watching Sex in the City and then they understood that what they were supposed to do is go to brunch with their <laughs> girlfriends and this is how you talk about sex while you're there. Um, and that that is the agenda. And even if you were still a little shy, you didn't even have to bring up your own sex life. Now you had this really nice thing where you could go to brunch and say like, I mean, what did you guys think about the anal sex episode of Sex and City? Whatever, like you wouldn't even have to bring your own stuff into it if you want, if you don't want to, you could just say like, you know, I really agree with like Miranda on this or whatever. And it, women didn't, at least in my world, like a lot of women did not know how to talk about sex in this way before that it was always supposed to be about love and like you weren't supposed to talk about the other stuff and you weren't supposed to try anything else and this really opened it up and allowed women and everyone really to talk about these kinds of things vibrators the vibrator thing was huge you know like yeah. there's these statistics in my book about how vibrator you know um sales in general like skyrocketed after the episode about no the rabbit, rabbit in particular was like this huge phenomenon. I was going to say, I want to go back to 1998 and put all my stock in the rabbit vibrator because yeah. boom, like skyrocketing sales. Yeah, exactly. So this was like, I mean, all of this really changed things in the way that the show was like very sort of female gaze oriented. So suddenly we could, you know, objectify the men, the men seemed, you know, this was in a lot of the reviews of the they, the reviewers were not happy because they were men, um, you know, that like the men were kind of almost disposable. It would just be sort of man of the week um, with some kind of weird sexual proclivity that we would discuss. And then he'd be gone by the next week. But all of these things allowed these other, you know, kinds of discussions and behaviors to happen and for women to do this stuff without sort of shame or feeling weird about it. And that they suddenly could understand that they could like have sex and enjoy it but not necessarily be in love with the man for instance and not yes. you know yes. beat them up about it so all of these things came together very quickly and changed you know the show just like sort of changed the direction of sexual discussions changed you know all kinds of things it just changed brunch you know it cosmos like it just it changed it made so many things you know, happen, there was an economic effect and there was a social effect. Absolutely. So you are a sex in the city expert. You literally wrote the book on it. So from that perspective, tell me your take 
on the purported Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker feud. Is that why we won't see Samantha back in the reboot, you think? I mean, I feel I feel so much better now than when I was first doing interviews for the book when it came when it first came out because like then it was still a little like I I mean I think it's like you don't need me to tell you that there was clearly animosity <laughs> like it, yeah. it has been publicly shown and documented at this point yeah, so Alice said so herself on social yeah media. exactly like it was a public there was a public spat between her and I guess Sarah Jessica Parker for the most part um and broad more broadly you know Kim Cattrall with the show I think saying just like it's just not something she wants to do again um so you know it's 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 not conjecture it's really true um and she was very clear about it that she just you know between not feeling totally comfortable going back to be with her co-stars again and um you know I thought I, I sort of enjoyed like her assertiveness in all of this where she was like not being coy about it she just said like look you know don't really want to hang out with those people anymore but more more than that even like I only have so many years left on earth I'm paraphrasing here but like you know basically was like I only have so much time left on earth this is not what I want, care to do with it I have played this character a lot. I've talked about this character a lot. It obviously changed my life in great ways, but it's just not something I want to do anymore. I really respected that. And I also always say to people, like, imagine if you did, you had this job, you know, 20 years ago that you loved and it was great in a lot of ways and it changed your life, but it was also hard and stressful and you didn't always get along with your coworkers. And then for the next 20 years after you left it, people were just constantly coming up to you and being like, why don't you go do that job again? Why don't you go be with those yeah. people? Why are you best friends with those people? Like, I think it could actually even make you hate it more than you did. Originally, if everyone's constantly like, why aren't you best friends with Sarah Jessica Parker? You're like, well, because I wasn't ever going to be, but now I'm kind of annoyed by the whole concept, <laughs> you yeah, know? We were, we were playing characters on television. Yeah, and it's it's a testament to what a great job they did that right. everyone is so wants them to be friends and that everyone believed they were. But it's just, I mean, they said this to me. I mean, I think it's even in the book, like when we were talking about it back then, that like, you know, no one was ever like, why isn't why why isn't James Gandolfini better friends with, you know, yeah, all of his co-stars on Sopranos. Did he get them a Christmas gift? Like, what's going on there? Oh, that's so, such a good point. Such right? A good it's it is there is a gender issue here, but there's also even there's two things. It's like there's the gender issue, and then there's just I mean a kind of sweeter thing, which is just that they were play people were so invested in this friendship that it was really hard for them, even as rational people who obviously understand on some level that this is pretend. Um, you know, it's disappointing to find out that one of them is not as close to the other three as the other three. And then the other three seem to be quite close. Um, you know, and we see that now too with them working on the reboot, but, you know, and it's, I think it's a, a bummer, but I also think, especially because we've had time to adjust to the fact that this is true we all know anybody who's interested in the show nobody's gonna I, I, maybe there's somebody somewhere but very few people are gonna turn in and be like wait I'm so shocked to learn that Kim Cattrall's not in this yeah like, I can't so imagine that, that. <laughs> right <laughs> 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 what <laughs> um, and I 
and I know they're going to explain it. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to do something in the show to like surely, explain surely. it. But like, no one is going to find themselves hurt and shocked in the moment to find that she's not there. So I think I, I personally feel like I've gotten used to the idea by now to the point where I'm like, eh, you know, it sucks. And I think it's a loss for the show, but they have to reconceive the show so much for 2021 mm-hmm. that this is just one part of them of the sort of challenge that they've set for themselves to reconceive the show. Cause there's, this thing can't be the same in any way. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, times have changed. These women have aged. Kim Cattrall's not there. I mean, things are so, so different. It's not a glamorous time anymore. It's a very different time in New York city. Like there's so much mm-hmm. they have to change and they know that. And I think yeah. that's going to be fun of it. So, you know, this is one more factor that they have to work in yeah and I think maybe ultimately Kim saying no is one of the most Samantha things she could do she has agency over her life and she just didn't want to do it so she didn't do it so who exactly. are we to shake you know? on her for for that you know do right and she's the, 10 years older than the others you know yeah. and so I think you know when you the older you, I find this to be true and I can see it coming the, the older you get the more you get like I don't have time for this like you know what you want to do and what you don't want to do and Absolutely. I, I really personally, it's because it's so hard for me. I really admire people who can set boundaries and say no, especially yeah. in a city. Like, can you imagine the, the pressure of this kind of situation? Of oh my God, yeah. Do it? But, yeah. But, you yeah. know. I think as you get older, like you said, you just kind of start, your give a damn. It starts to yeah. work less and, you know, yeah. you don't want to do it. So you're not going to do it. And yeah. that's it. And Tired. so you're missing her. character, but the show goes on as they say. And I think, you know, they'll, I, I'm excited to see what they, what they do with it. And, and yeah. I love the idea of, you know, we're, we're telling these women's stories, you know, 20 years on. And, um, and, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker's on the cover of Vogue this month. She's talking about aging and how Hollywood wants to write women out at a certain age. And I love that these women are showing up and they have gray hair and here they are. And that makes me just so proud to love this show that because that's it, we're here to celebrate every facet of being a woman at every age. And so I just can't wait. I mean, two weeks is too long, but um, you write of the show, quote, the women of sex in the city were looking for love and children, but didn't need either. All they needed were good sex, the ambition to succeed without a man and good friends. And you also write, quote, it was a deeply flawed work when it came to race and class issues. This is me talking now. Um, hopefully some of those issues will be fixed in the reboot. Back to you. But it was a significant piece of television history and its own debatable form of feminist manifesto unbelievably 23 years since the show's premiere in 1998 and 17 years since its last episode in 2004 not mentioning the the movies uh in 2008 and 2010 i believe what what is the lasting legacy of sex in the city jennifer i mean i think a lot of what we were talking about in terms of the way we talk about sex and all of that but um you know, the biggest thing is just the the sort of portrayal of the single woman, I think. Um, and that's not to say we had had no glamorous portrayals of single women before that, but it really changed sort of, if you think about the stereotype, it actually changed the stereotype and that has its own pitfalls, right? But 
it changed it from kind of that sad, like sad cat lady, like at home eating brownies was very like the single woman before that. Right. And who's kind of like desperate and pining for a man and worried about getting older. I think of like the Kathy comic strip from way back when. Is yeah. Oh my good. gosh. I haven't thought about that in so long. I loved Kathy. Right. Back in the day. right? <laughs> like that was the kind of like, and I mean, I sort of enjoyed Kathy in her own way. Like she was revolutionary in her own way. Um, but like that was sort of, and so that is not a very, like, it was not meant to be something that people aspired to. Um, whereas Sex and the City really changed it into this other cartoon that we now think of, right? As kind of like shoes, and glamour, and cupcakes, and cosmos, and this is what being single is. And I am always fighting that to some extent because I'm always like the show is, that's what people think the show is. And it's so much more than that. It's not about shoes and Cosmos and cupcakes. Um, but I do think that cartoon actually has some value, which is just that it made it glamorous. It made it so that there were actually married women who would look at that and go like, oh, I wish, I wish that were me. Like, yeah. and that didn't used to be the case. Think of even Bridget Jones, which was not, which was around the same time. So that's a really good example of like the way, the way that she still perceived herself in that narrative, right? Where she would go to parties and everyone would be like, oh, the sad singleton, why are yeah, you still single? She was right? still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Imagine if she had, you know, she goes to the same dinner party 10 years later and everyone's like, oh my God, it must be so cool to be glamorous and single like the women from Sex and the City would not be a crazy thing to happen to a woman like that. That's a great so, mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're really like more in the same time period. Um, and I love them. Like I was obsessed with Bridget Jones too, don't get me wrong. But, um, and I think she did a bunch of things that were great. But, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure that her life as it was portrayed is something that we looked at and went like, oh, I wish I was Bridget Jones. Whereas- No, I don't think I would ever say that, but however, I would totally say, I wish I was Carrie. Right. Yeah. People wanted to be one of those women and especially Carrie at the time. And so that is the real, that's what flips. That's a huge, huge um, contribution to the point where it's so big that it's hard for us to like remember the before, but- you know, this just was not done on television. And when you read the early reviews, you even see this. It's fun. It's always fun to read earlier reviews of TV shows that go on to be huge hits because there are always some that are like, this is stupid and won't last more than two episodes. Mm. Um, but people were very, you know, a lot of them were very like, oh, these women are desperate. And I was like, they're not desperate at all. Like, you're oh. reading this. They, they didn't know wh- how there could be another narrative of a single woman besides desperation. And in fact, there's no... They might have been desperate on a variety of other friends, but finding a man was not one of them. 100%. Like I said, they didn't, they no longer needed a man. They wanted a man, but they did not need a man and take the man out of the equation. They still have full, happy, exciting lives. Exactly. And that is the key. And it's why they were also, I think, able, I mean, it's also because they were brilliant at this, but they were really underrated in terms of how they had some of those long-term relationships that played out. That to me was actually one of my favorite aspects. Besides the friendship, that was my favorite aspect of the show is seeing like Miranda and Steve 
or, mm-hmm. you know, Charlotte and Harry, like those kinds of things, obsessed with Charlotte and Harry. Um, Charlotte and Harry forever, ever, ever, ever want to see that relationship breach. If they come out in the reboot divorced or whatever, I'm just going to throw my hands up in the air and quit because no. I need them to still be in love. They are sacred. And I think, I hope that the show understands that, but, um, you know, that stuff, they were really incredibly, you don't see, you know, every day, especially at that time, you really didn't see like a lot of great portrayals of long-term relationships. And I thought some of that stuff and the way they aged them, which is why I, you know, if you think about the, the trajectory that they went on, from the beginning of the show to like Miranda, you know, caring for Steve's ailing mother and those sorts of things. Like they really went on a journey and I, that's what gives me some hope for them being able to fast forward to 2021 and bring these women into both their fifties and the time that we live in. I can't wait two weeks. Well, by the time this episode airs, it'll be closer to the December 9th air date but uh for for all of the us those like me who are beyond thrilled for and just like that go grab a copy of sex in the city and us and remind yourself why you love this show so much it is the greatest show of all time i said it uh you'll be happy you got a copy of this book because you get a really behind the curtain look at the show and it's it's such a, a good piece of work jennifer i love this book thank you so much for being here today thank you for having me The countdown is on until December 9th. Thank you, Jennifer, for this great chat and this great book. Go pick up a copy. As promised, a couple of book recommendations. I absolutely loved Catherine Price's The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again, which drops December 21st. And I haven't read it yet, but number one on my anticipation list for January is Jamie Lynn Spears' forthcoming memoir, Things I Should Have Said, Family, Fame, and Figuring It Out, which drops January 18th. So we'll be back next week to discuss organizing your life with Jen Robin, author of the upcoming book, Life in General, spelled J-E-N-E-R-A-L so cute a joyful guide to organizing your home and creating the space for what matters most until then a friendly reminder to let me know what you're reading at hello i'd rather be reading at gmail.com and follow rate and review our show talk soon have a great week